Hey, good afternoon. My name is Amanda, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Amanda. Um, up here from uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, Vision for You group. We meet Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Um, so if you're in Fayetteville, uh, come by and see us and uh, see a few Fayetteville people. Thank you guys for making the, the trip. Um, and uh, my sobriety date is January 20th, 2011. Um, I think that's all the, uh, the housekeeping there. Um, I was talking to uh, someone earlier, a minute ago, before I started talking, and, and it just kind of was reminding me of um, when I was younger, I grew up playing sports. And when you play sports, you're part of a team, and you have a common purpose, and that purpose is probably to win. Um, at least it was for for me. And, uh, and in doing that, um, everyone kind of has to be on the same page. And um, currently where I'm at at our home group, we, you know, that's emphasized a lot, but that hasn't always been the case in my, um, in my journey in, in sobriety and definitely was not the case in my journey in drinking. Um, but uh, before I came up here today, I actually um, – Part of being sober for me today is, is having some freedom in, 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 in my decisions and what I can do with my life. And um, it's not for everybody, but a lot of stuff I like to do involves running long distances and playing in the woods. And, and this morning, I was able to actually be a part of a relay team where we were to, our, our goal was to run 40 miles in the woods. And uh, each one of us kind of took turns doing that. And um, so I was in Pittsburgh today, but the place I was at in Pittsburgh was, was kind of reflective because. Uh, my first shot at a college, which wasn't successful back in the 90s, um, this is the Shakori Hills. Now it's like this grassroots music festival. Back when I was at Chapel Hill, it was like 420 Festival. And we would go out there, and, and you know, the entrepreneur I was was out there with a keg selling red solo cups. And, you know, that's kind of when alcohol was fun, but it, just the reflection of here I am, you know, sober and, and out at that same location um, doing this uh, – this cool thing that I like to do, running through the woods. So uh, just a little gratitude on that, and then I was able to come here and be with you guys. So I'm glad to be here, and thank you to the committee for uh, putting this together. That's also unity um, and purpose. I know how fun it is to uh, be on a committee, and it's kind of like family. Uh, maybe some disagreements or some differencing opinions, and uh, you can kind of move move through that and accomplish, uh, accomplish a goal. So... Um, you know, I'll kind of start, uh, you guys are making me edit my story a little bit because I only got 30 minutes, so I'm going to start actually, uh, probably where I flunked out of college, uh, hanging out in, uh, places that, uh, I should have been studying and I, and I wasn't, um, I was drinking a lot, uh, hanging out on Franklin Street, um, and, uh, my drinking up until that point, um, was successful, at least in, from my perspective. It wasn't successful from everyone else's perspective, um, but it was still enjoyable, and um, you couldn't tell me anything. I was uh, probably 20 years old, living my best life. My world was on fire. I'm flunking out of school. Um, I already got some legal troubles. Um, you know, parents are sending, trying to send me to child shrinks when I'm growing up, and just, um, but, but uh, yeah, I was living my best life, and so through a series of events, um, I ended up in, in, in Greensboro, flunked out of college. Parents thought I was still um, going to school, um, support me financially. I was lying to them, telling them I was going to class and all that, and then I moved to Greensboro. But between that, I ended up catching some severe um, legal charges and uh, moved to Greensboro. That didn't work out too well. Um, I heard another speaker earlier talk about the compliance versus surrender. I had a lot of compliance mode. That's where I was first introduced to uh, to Alcoholics Anonymous, it was it was definitely by compliance. I really didn't want to be there. I went to that room full of people, and it was um, similar to, to what, what the reading was. People who normally would not mix. Um, I was 
21. Um, I went in a room full of people who were probably more mature than me, and they were talking about things that, that hadn't happened to me yet, and I just didn't identify. Plus, I just, you know, again, I wasn't interested, and I'd be drinking on the weekends and did a lot of classes where I had to comply a little bit, and it just didn't work. And then, uh, you know, that just kind of uh, continued on. And anyway, I ended up uh, not complying so much that I landed myself at uh, 1034 Bragg Street at the uh, Maximum Security Prison for Women. And, um, you know, again, there, um, you know, there's, there, there's, a, there's a meme I saw the other day on Instagram. It was like a little girl, and it was like, you know, my daughter's so sassy, she's either going to be a leader of a prison gang or a CEO, and um, that's me. And, like, um, I, I'm, a, I'm about it both. I've had about both experiences. So this is the leader of the prison gang phase, and, um, and, 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 I, and, and, and you know, I was always good at, at being a leader and, and, and organizing people, and, and prison was no different, and, and I latched on to people, and, and we were people who normally would not mix, you know. To be honest, um, I have nothing in my childhood that I could point at and blame on my alcoholism. I've always wanted to. Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing. Perfect family, mom, dad, uh, little brother, well-to-do family, like every, every opportunity in the world. And, you know, it turned out to be an alcoholic in prison. So, um, But I was in there with people who, you know, we normally would not mix, and you get a bunch of, uh, you know, alcoholics in, in a situation like that, and interesting things happen, um, nothing, nothing positive. Um, and I got out of that experience and, uh, you know, fear sobered me a bit and I went straight to Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, I had a, I had an old family friend, uh, who, who was going to this meeting and, and said, yeah, come to this meeting. And, and I went and I was quite proud of myself and I'd sit in that chair and, um, you know, meeting makers make it. And uh, I made 70 meetings and, uh, that was it. Did make, did not make it. Um, I hate to tell you, did not make it. And, um. You know, took somebody hostage, and off we were on a sidecar, you know, to New York City, and uh, did the same thing up there, and uh, ended back, finally back in Fayetteville, and I think about 06, and uh, what happened in, the, in that time was just pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Um, I was sitting here listening to the other speakers talk about their wine drinking, and I'm like, man, you know, I never drink wine. <laughs> um, I, don't, I, I don't understand. Like, I drink, you know, Ice House, 24-ounce Ice House with the highest alcohol content, or Colt 45, with the highest alcohol content or whatever was there, you know, and, and it became, um, you know, I, I can relate to people who normally would not mix. If, if, if you had uh, alcohol I wanted or was going to buy me something, I was your best friend, didn't matter who you were. And uh, we had a unity and purpose, you know, we were going to get drunk and get into some trouble. We come up with harebrained ideas of how to get more money together and that never ended well. And um, so even in my drinking, I, I attracted to people, you know, other alcoholics just in a, in a, in a definitely negative way. And, and we we try to get our, our ideas together and um, definitely wasn't led by any higher power, um, probably a lower power. And, uh, and uh, it, it really just, um, it, it drove me to, to that you know, it's been mentioned multiple times today, uh, uh, alcohol beat me in a state of reasonableness. And, and um, I was as willing as a dying can be and, um, and, and found myself, um, you know, probably one of the lines in the big book I can relate, relate to the most um, is um, disgustingly and dangerously antisocial. Um, it's probably the line that if I said, how was I right before I got sober, that's it. I was disgustingly and dangerously antisocial. I went from a social butterfly to... Um, getting kicked out of trap houses off Murchison Road in Fayetteville to just being alone in, 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 in an apartment that my parents paid for so their daughter wouldn't be homeless. And um, 
you know, what I know now to be uh, a God of my understanding just spoke to me and said, pick up the phone and go to AA. And, and I listened. I was at Answers. And I picked up the phone, and uh, I went to that same group that I'd gone to years before when I got out of prison, and some of the same people were there, and, and they welcomed me back, and they didn't judge me. And um, that became my first home group. It's a central group um, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. It meets at the Alco Club, and one of the oldest home groups in, in, in North Carolina. And um, a lot of good people were there at that time, 2011. And uh, what happened was... You know, I was. I think someone else said they would have meetings drunk. I mean, I had been up for a couple of days that morning, and I drug myself. Uh, actually, someone picked me up and uh, gave me a ride. I didn't drive. I didn't walk there. And um, I got there, and uh, back then they'd have the, the little meeting guide sheet, and the women would write their numbers on the back of it. And they handed me this meet this meeting sheet with like this list of women's numbers. And um, on the way home, uh, the lady who gave me a ride said, "There's a there's a, a young lady you should call." And uh, I gave her a phone call, and um, she stopped everything she was doing and uh, came to my house and told stomach. me. And I thought I had to go away somewhere. I thought I had to go to detox or treatment center, and I was ready to, like, pack my stuff. And she's like, well, uh, why don't you try working the 12 steps? And, um, and, and I'm, what I know now is I know another speaker talked about, like, learning lessons looking back. At the time, I didn't know this. I thought this lady was pretty crazy that she just, like, showed up in my house. Um, but... <laughs> Knowing what I know now is I'm um, I'm 100 convinced that the morning that morning she woke up she probably asked God to to direct her and to be helpful, and 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 that's that's how God used her that day was 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 through to help me, um, although I didn't know it at the time and that and to me that's really kind of what this means it's um it's what I found at Alcoholics Anonymous, is that when I was disgustingly and dangerous antisocial and was so disconnected from any higher power um, you know I might have ever known as a kid that that when I walked into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a group of people united um, by, by this common purpose and common solution that was rooted in, in a power greater than themselves. And, and, and this power of that group helped me at the time that I didn't have a power to help myself and, um, and or until I could get that power. And, and, and that's what this young lady was doing. She came and she sat on this picnic table um, at the apartments that my parents were paying for and just said, you know, let's work some steps, and, and, and I just said, okay, <laughs> I don't even know where that came from, because the person up until then would have argued with everything, and come up with every little reason, why not, or just because I'm smarter than, and I just said, okay, and um, that next day, I went back to that meeting, and, and the same people were there, and they were welcoming me, and um, so I got sober on uh, January 20th, and, and, and Central Group's anniversary is always in January, and so they're having this big, getting ready for this big anniversary party, and I was probably like 10 days sober, and they are like putting me to work because I was some people I think when they when they're detoxing or kind of tired, not me. I was like a little energizer bunny because um, I didn't sleep when I drank. Um, I had some uh, some help, and, 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 and so when 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 I got sober, I just wasn't used to like sleeping, and and I was full of just probably nervous energy or whatever you want to call it, and they were like just telling me to do stuff, and it was helpful because they were preparing for this this anniversary, and so I was real busy and and instantly got kind of put to work, Um, and I'm glad that this home group was living by the traditions. Um, It actually met weekly, I mean daily, and um, once a, one day a week they had a tradition meeting, and and, um, and so I know that they were grounded in that, and they were they were they were living that out in in, in the day to day before and after the meeting. Um, but that list that I got from those women when I would in between meetings when I'd be sitting at home, I didn't I didn't end up going to a detox. I might might should have, but I, I didn't. And um, 
So I would call these women um, on the list, and they would say, read doctor's opinion and call me back. And I'd call the next one, and they'd say, read doctor's opinion and call me back. And I'd call the next one, and and so on and so on. And I was convinced that they were, like, huddled in a room conspiring against me to, like, tell me to read this stupid thing called doctor's opinion. And and now, again, what I know now is that they were were united in in that common purpose of carrying that message. And they didn't even, they were from different groups. They weren't even from the same group. They might have not even, they might have known each other, but, it, you know, they weren't, um, definitely weren't conspiring in a room together. Um, they were, they were, they were sharing that message that was shared with them, um, simple message of, of what's, what's in the book. And, and, um, and I'm really grateful for that. And, and that was helpful. I didn't really read a lot when I was drinking. So my brain was a little jumbled, but I did what they, what they told me to do. Um, and, it, and it got me through. And so, um, as I was progressing, you know, those first few, few months of uh, sobriety, um, uh, I was I was exposed enough to to the book to catch on that I should probably like try to do some service work. I wasn't working at the time, so I was you know needing to stay busy and looking for ways to stay busy. And um, I started going to the detox, and I really didn't have much to say at the time, um, but I just went and I uh, sat there and I listened. And um, that, that meeting um, that went to the detox, it actually wasn't even my home group. It was another home group, but I went anyway, and um, I got to know those people. Uh, we definitely wouldn't have mixed. Like, on the streets, we might have mixed, or the bar, we might have mixed. But, like, different different age, different whatever. But, but when we were there together, carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to the people of the detox, um, we, we were unified, and, and um, we had that common purpose. And, and, it, and I got to know people really quickly in the, in the AA community by doing stuff like that. So I was no longer, you know, I was coming out of that disgustingly and dangerously antisocial and um, becoming um, a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. So that's kind of the experience as a, as, as a newcomer. Um, probably about, uh, let's see, I got served in 2011 and 2013. Um, I actually went back to that college um, I flunked out of pretty quickly in recovery. I didn't know if you told them that, like, you actually were doing better for your life. They might let you back in if you're a little honest, you know. Um, I had this presumption that because I'd gone to prison and got all these felonies that I wasn't, you know, could never go back to school or do anything um, productive, and that's not true. Um, and so I got back into school, and then towards uh, about two more years of credits to do, and uh, I ended up getting uh, an opportunity to go overseas to work for, for a nonprofit as an in, for an internship. And um, we were in a, a country in West Africa, and... Um, you know, I tried to reach, uh, well, I did. I called, I called the GSO um, International Desk, and um, this guy named Rick, uh, I remember his name. I doubt he's still there, but maybe he is. Um, and uh, he, he told me that he had some numbers of some people in this country, um, and he gave them to me. And so when I got there, I was calling them, but none of them were working. The numbers were disconnected or, or whatever. But the guest house I was staying at, um, now this is, when I say this is a country, this is it's like one of the third poorest countries in the world. There's no infrastructure, you know, um, and in 2013, um, there wasn't Zoom. And so um, when I was there, I was doing the A online intergroup, and there was an A online intergroup at the time. It was literally like you would, like, chat your meetings. It was, it was pretty intense. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful for it because that's what I had at the time. But... So the whole time I was there, I'm at this guest house with other Westerners, and I'm asking them, and there's a lot of Christian missionaries there, and they're like, well, yeah, we know this guy who's running a, a Christian house for men, uh, a Christian recovery house. And my first thought was like, wow, okay, it's a men's house, a bunch of uh, African men. Um, I'm, a, I'm a white, you know, U.S. woman. Um, it's a Christian sober house. It's not, you know, not a 12-step program. And I had all these reasons why it was different and why, you know, what, what I could do and... Um, 
it was probably about my last week or two there. And um, I finally connected with, with a guy running it, and, and I got there. It was really hard to get transportation. I'm in this foreign place, very little transportation. I finally get there, and it's a um, probably the size of that corner with about 12 guys living in there, like what you would see on TV and, you know, dirt floor, no electricity. And there's these men living there trying to get sober. Um, and those, uh, I mean, they do it here too, but they're like sniffing glue is real popular. There's sort of like really super cheap ways of catching a high, drinking, you know, mixing gasoline with stuff. Anyway, just really bad drugs and alcohol going on as well. Um, and uh, I talked to an A member back home and they're just like, well, you know, I was kind of nervous, you know, I'm about two years sober and um, I was kind of nervous about going because I thought, oh, they're not going to relate to me. Like, well, you know, I'm just this, this girl from the U.S. And she's like, just go and tell your story. And, um, and I went and I started telling my story because I was comfortable doing that because I actually started doing it at the detox, so I was comfortable doing it. And um, they start shaking their heads, and I'm like, wow, they're, like, relating to what I'm saying. And, and it just really demonstrated that, um, you know, that power of um, one alcoholic helping another, and, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, what our backgrounds are, that, that's that common problem and a common solution. Well, the, the kind of leader of that, not the, the guy who ran the place, but the, the, the alpha male of the guys that were living there, um, his name was Vamar, and he, he latched on, you know, and, and um, I was able to get back in touch with Rick from the international desk, and I had some, uh, some fin financial funds together to get some big books for these guys, but it cost more money to ship the big books there than it did the actual books. And so um, GSO paid, paid that. And um, the reason they had money for that is because when we pass the basket and groups contribute to GSO, they have funding to ship books to people in um, countries that don't have access to the big book. And um, so that was um, pretty cool. And um, that was just my – like, I didn't know that at the time either. Like, I didn't know that until I asked, and, and that was re revealed to me. And then – so this one guy, Valmar, who was kind of the, the guy that was really interested in, out of these guys that wanted to kind of work some steps. And, and I'm like, what am I going to do with the steps with this guy? Like – I go back to the U.S. and and I forget what kind of we what we used at the time. It was some maybe it was Facebook call or WhatsApp. I think might have been around. It definitely wasn't any video. It was, it was all telephone. And and I worked step, steps with him over the phone. And um and and he started taking meetings into the, the detox at this the one detox this country had in in the main city. And um, there were some other friends on that a online intergroup I had met. And um, this guy his name is DC Dave. And uh, he um. He was on this online intergroup, and he actually started helping out too. And so, I would talk to Valmar and, and and work some steps with him. And then this DC Dave guy would work with him, and this other guy he had met at the detox. And then um, Rick at the international office. Now that that he had that information that there were people that were kind of sober, getting sober in this area. This other guy named Andrew, who was this like Southie from Boston, who traveled to remote places for his job and had like double digit years of sobriety. He went there in person after I left. Um, and was able to do the fifth step with Valmar in person. And so and then he moved to um, South Africa, and this lady from Botswana started sponsoring him. So it was like this conglomerate of people just all over the world helping this one pocket of alcoholics in, in this country. And, and it was just a really powerful example of, of, of unity and purpose and, and, and what this program's about. Um, so, you know, a couple years later, I'm back in the U.S., and... and um, we're getting, you know, doing, taking meetings into the uh, Cumberland County Detention Center. And, uh, it was, you know, as some of you may know, you do some service work. It's, you can get a little um, 
frustrated, especially early on in your journey when you think it's all about you and you could fix people and you're like, why isn't anybody getting sober? And, you know, it's probably in that phase, but we're going to the detention center every Tuesday night and, um, you know, no one's getting sober. And I'm like, what's wrong? You know, why isn't anybody getting sober? Um, and, uh, finally after a few years, um, there was one, one lady in there and, um, what happened was, what changed is we just started working steps. Like, we didn't even have meetings. We were like, who wants to work steps? Like, the hour we're in here, we're going to take to work steps. And we started taking them through the book. And when this one girl got her fifth step, it was a similar experience to Vomar where you had to call and spend like 20 bucks to do the video calls into the jail. So the ladies that were carrying the meeting into the jail, we all took turns hearing like a chunk of this girl's fifth step in the jail. And um, that was also a good experience. And that girl's still sober, and she got out, and she sponsors women and is a productive member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So all the years of going to the jail, there's a, the one person that, you know, I can say got the message is, 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 is giving it back and, and carrying the message. Um, um, so the, I've had various home groups throughout my recovery, and, um, you know, I'm not going to say negative things about any of them. They all serve their purpose at the time of my recovery. Um, but... I can honestly say I think the home group I'm in now is, is probably the, the best example of, of what a home group looks like. Um, and um, what, that, what that looks like today is um, having, you know, thoughtful group conscience meetings that, that are all centered on what is the newcomer's experience. Or not even the newcomer, what is the new person's experience. When they walk through that door, you know, are the books placed in the right area? When you walk through the door, is the first thing you see. What's the first thing you see? You know, the chairs are lined up meticulously. Um, you know, we do the potlucks. We're going to make sure we've got, you know, enough food and, and, and the right things and that newcomer packets and, and, and that all of us are on the same page as home group members that, you know, we're not going to sit there and just talk to each other that after the meeting ends, our, our purpose is to go talk to that new person. We're not We're not going to click up and, and, and do that, and we're all on the same page on that because when we have our business meetings, we, we, we talk about it. And, and um, another thing that we do as a home group is um, we take uh, meetings Wednesdays and Fridays. Since COVID, unfortunately, a lot of the service opportunities have stopped. We've yet to get back in the jail. Some of y'all might have experienced this as well. Still haven't been able to get back in the jail. Um, the detox center is ran by another company now, and it's way different than it used to be. Um, and so what our home group has now is on Wednesdays and Fridays, um, we have uh, take outpatient meetings on to Fort Liberty, um, formerly Fort Bragg, and, and get to talk to the soldiers there that are in the um, the uh, outpatient program there. And, and a lot of the members of our home group, they, a lot of them become members of our home group. And, and it's a really good experience. We are a military community, and I don't know what better efforts for us to be putting our um, service work towards than to making sure those soldiers are, are knowing what Alcoholics Anonymous is and that we're here in the community for them. Um, and then um, also our district's kind of been reorganizing um, at committee levels and our CPCPI has been uh, the, the most active it's ever been since I've been in the, in the area. And um, that's also another good experience of, of being able to making sure that the, the professionals know what Alcoholics Anonymous is and, and, and where they can find us. And our group does that at home group. So the last thing that, um, that was read says join a brotherly and a harmonious action. And, and I think, you know, I know for sure the home group I'm in now we do things together um, and do service work together. And, and I can say out of my time in, in AA, the people that I'm the closest to are the people I do service work with. Um, and, and 
you know, whether they're in my home group or not. That's who I get to know the best um, because we're, we're, we're united. And then what I know today is that when I spend more time with God, asking him to direct my thinking and, and, and what, what do I have on the day-to-day, it said I'm saying I'm, I'm open for business 24-7 and, and that, you know, 10 o'clock at night comes and, and the phone jingles um, that – that I'm I'm prepared to 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 follow through with that and and now I'm that person that it has that power that I'm connected to on a day-to-day basis that when I'm united with other people that are connected to their power we can do some pretty cool stuff and and that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is for me and has done for me thanks good job Amanda appreciate that Tony help me welcome Tony Good afternoon, Tony Dotson, alcoholic. It's good to be here, good to be sober. I want to thank the committee. Uh, Dixon actually invited me, but I know Jay probably had something to do with it. And Susie, thank you all. What a great, great conference here today. Um, thank you, Amanda. What a great job. I appreciate you leading in like that. I'm glad you went first. We were hackling back and forth who was going to go first. What an awesome lead. I appreciate that. Good work you're doing down there in Fayetteville. Um, so my name is Tony Dotson. I am certainly an alcoholic. My sobriety date is June the 13th, 1987. My home group is the Working With Others group in Anger. We meet twice a week, Mondays and Friday nights at 7 o'clock. So if you're in Anger, come see us. We're in the meeting app, and um, we're also in District 50 meeting directory. So if you're in that area, please come see us. We'd love to have you. Unity and purpose. Um, you know, I was thinking uh, we always need to qualify whenever we or doing a topic talk, and and I've heard several people, and I think you described it as probably as good as any, is that I drank to the point to where that drinking turned on me, and, and I tried other things to try to help me drink more successfully, um, and, and they'd worked for a while, and then they quit working, and they turned on me, and um, my life got pitiful and incomprehensible and it was demoralized and and I found myself in places I didn't want to be didn't know how I got there um through my drinking escapades I almost lost my life more than one time at my own hand um my drinking uh at the end was was to the point to where that I surrendered um I had not only been beat into a state of reasonableness we talk about I, I was broken you know that's a good word for me because my spirit was broken and, um, and, and I reached out to the only thing I knew left was a God of my understanding, but I was like some of the other speakers today, was I thought I had done too many dirty, rotten things, living my life the way I wanted to live my life, to be welcomed back by any kind of God or any kind of group of people that would want anything to do with me. Um, my wife was ready to leave me, my boss was ready to fire me, and I was facing a felony possession with intent to distribute charge. So things were not looking real good for me. I didn't come to Alcoholics Anonymous on a winning streak. Um, but what, what I got was hope. And, and I've heard faith here today. And, and I've certainly heard you talk about love. And, and the thing for me is that's the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism for me was that I was willing to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body in a way that was totally opposite of my personality. Um, I'm a fight till you knock me out guy. I will not surrender. I'll keep getting up till you knock me down that last time. And for me to surrender, to, to stop, 
is, is something that's totally opposite of my nature. And, and the day that I said, God, please help me, I'm, I'm done. I, I just can't take it anymore. And the day that, that I walked in my home, and, and this is when your telephone still hung on the wall in my kitchen, and, and everything in me wanted to drink a liquor. Um, I could smell bourbon, I could taste bourbon, and everything about me. And I had about, I don't know, maybe a couple of months in sobriety. It would have been a good time to go take a drink, you know. Um, I could have reset the watch and just started over. But something about it changed, and, and I was willing to reach out and ask for help rather than go to do what I'd always done before when I got to that much pain, uh, was go drink to kill the pain. And my sponsor answered the phone right away, like first ring. I was like, what's up with this guy? I was hoping he didn't answer. So I go get drunk, I could blame it on him. Um, he went home. And um, what happened next was, was a transformation for me was is that I fully conceded to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic. He helped use all those misadventures and near-death experiences to, to help me make that decision once and for all. Drinking is probably not a good thing for me. And then he asked me where I stood with God. And I was like, well, you know, I believe in God. I just don't think he believes much in me. And he's just like, man, how in the world can you think that? Here you just laid out all these things where you almost died. And every time God puts somebody in your life just at the right moment to pull you back from that, to save you from yourself, from your drinking, and here you are telling me you don't think God wants anything to do with you. He says, man, we're, what's going on with that? And, and I didn't. I really didn't think that he wanted anything to do with me, all those dirty, rotten things. And, and I surrendered that day, and I took a third step with him, not even knowing what I was doing. I just felt really uncomfortable holding his hands and praying. I didn't hold men's hands. I didn't pray like that. Um, it was totally foreign for me. But I did it because somehow, some way, I just felt like maybe, just maybe, this thing will work for me too. And, and what came out of that was a, a spiritual experience that removed the obsession and compulsion to drink. Our third step talks about this. Sometimes, in effect, a very great one was felt at once. And I was riding home from that experience of those first three steps with my sponsor in his home and, and, and had that vital spiritual experience that removed the obsession and compulsion to drink. Never returned since that day. Um, I went home and I wrote a fourth step. And I began to look at all those things that were causing me to be blocked off by God. Why I felt like God thought I was too dirty, rotten, and, and, and bad to want anything to do with me. And, and went through that, that humbling of a fifth step. And, and going out and making amends to, to my, my little wife at the time and her family for how bad I had treated her and, and, and my family. And, and how many times my poor mother, when the phone rang in the middle of the night, it was, it was you know, she was finding out her son had been killed um, or was in prison. And what happened for me was through that process of that personality change, I began to become open-minded about the spiritual principles that happened in Alcoholics Anonymous. I had a sponsor who was guiding me. I had a home group of people that were sober far greater than I was. And, and, and the love, the unconditional love that these people provided me gave me faith that maybe, just maybe, I can get this AA thing like these people are doing because their lives, they look good. They're driving nice cars. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing well. I wanted some of that. That was attractive to me at the time. You know, it's always about the monetary things and my pride because I wanted to do well. I wanted people to think well of me. I wanted them to know I was doing well. And, and what really happened was is that the humility started to realize is that has absolutely nothing to do with being sober or being effective at helping others. See there? Brought it out. Oh, yeah. It's all right. 
Hopefully they'll be safe. If it was my child, I'd want them to be safe. Um, so in, in, in talking about what that home group did for me providing unity, I think the first time that, that I had anything about that was here was a group of people that I was 25 years old when I got sober. The closest guy to me in age was my sponsor, and I think he's eight years older than I am. And um, the rest of the next one was like 20. There was a gap. These were all old people. Man, I'm talking about blue hairs. It was old people. <laughs> they would, we, were, we would not mix. I mean, you just do not mix. And, uh, and my God, they, they put up with me. My language was horrible. I thought you took it. It was an intermission in the middle of an AA meeting. You get up and you go out and you go to the bathroom. You go smoke a cigarette and you come back, catch the tail end of the meeting, you know. And they inform me there's not an intermission in AA. Um, they, they took me aside, you know. Why do you get to a meeting an hour before a meeting? It's an 8 o'clock meeting. What I got to get there at 7 o'clock for you? And that made no sense because we're going to make coffee and we're going to put up the chairs and we're going to put out the ashtrays. We smoked in the meetings. And then we get to clean them all up, woohoo, you know, and do all that. And, and I thought, man, this, do y'all have a janitor or something right here? It's going to clean this stuff up. And, and just ego, man, just my pride in my ego is horrible. And um, that, that thing dies last, I think. Um, but I got involved because I was scared not to. I was afraid maybe this thing might not work if I don't do what they asked me to do. Um, and, and I'm an overachiever. I wanted to do really well, so I cleaned the fire out of them ashtrays, man. They were clean, them coffee pots. <laughs> don't overclean the coffee pot, right, Jerry? Do not overclean. Man, I took the pipe cleaners to clean all the resin out of the tube, man. <laughs> One of my old home group members who later become my sponsor, he was really upset with us, but we would not own up who cleaned that coffee pot. Um, not about to do that. But um, when, those, when those good men and women in that group loved me in spite of myself and taught me that it's okay to speak in a meeting if you're called to speak on, which I was not. I was told to say, my name's Tony, I'm an alcoholic, and that's it. Um, the only thing I knew how to do was drink, and they're pretty sure everybody knew how to do that, so I didn't need to explain that during the meeting. Um, but, but what they did for me was is that they loved me in spite of myself, and they taught me it's okay not to cuss when you do share. And they taught me AA etiquette about how to behave in an AA meeting, about the spiritual principles of, of unity is, is the fact that no matter who's there, we're all one when we're in an AA meeting. And the, the, the principle of that was, for me was is the inclusiveness. I mean, I, I was not included in very many things when I got sober, and, and here I was being welcomed and included. Um, they were giving it, and I worked for a, a global company, a pharmaceutical company, and we have inclusiveness and diversity training now. I had that in AA a long time ago. I did great at that. That was no problem whatsoever, you know. We, we, we are definitely people who normally would not mix. But the unity that um that i learned is is truly the the most cherished quality our society has and as it says our lives and the lives of all that come depend squarely upon it without unity the heart of aa would cease to beat and our world arteries would no longer carry the life-giving grace of god amanda just perfect um unity for me looks like this i was 13 years sober and I went to a good friend of mine and asked him to carry me back through the big book, and he did at 5.30 a.m. every morning. And 
what happened during that process was is that my personality began to take another shift because, you see, I was really upset with God because we had lost our first child, and I was really lost spiritually, and I could not seem to get solid ground again. And the hope that came from that was going through that big book, line for line with my sponsor, and every time it said we asked God, we stopped and we prayed. And through that faith and that hope, the love began to transform me into something different than what I was before. And I began to have a relationship with a God of my understanding that deepened my ability to not only love people unconditionally, but want to seriously help people, to actually get out of myself and stop thinking so much about Tony and what's going on in Tony's life and where I'm at in my life and, and what could have happened or what should have happened, but really looking at, at how we can carry the message to others. What happened for me was going through, and, and I love that, that sick one prayer, that's my prayer on 67, where, where my sponsor told me to, to pray that prayer. We asked God to help us show them the same patience, tolerance, and pity I cheerfully grant a sick friend. That prayer has helped me in business meetings in my home group. It's helped me in business meetings at work. It's helped me to put aside my wants and my desires for what was best for the group or best for that meeting or best for that project. Going through and, and looking at every area of my life and, and not just the conduct in my sex conduct, my conduct at home and at work and in the community in my own home group, that personality change that came from that allowed the unity to take place to where that primary purpose could be met. Um, I was in the same group with Aaron, and, and one of the other things that happened beyond the, the prayer that, that they wanted to stop, and Jerry had to corner me in the back of the fellowship hall and let that guy leave before we could get him out of there. Um, true story. Um, and Because I want to have a conversation with him. But, but in that business meeting, there was a newcomer that, though he was not newcomer, he was just a young guy in AA, but he benefited from good sponsorship. And he used a quote right out of Bill Wilson was that, you know, that, that now that we're in AA and we're sober and our light begins to shine, we don't hide our light under a bushel. We let our light shine. And, and the whole demeanor of that group and in that, because I went in there with my boxing gloves tied up ready for a battle, you know, um, and, and I surrendered and I let that group take over and I let that group conscious decide and I became willing to accept whatever happened, happened, and I was going to support it because that's what our groups, what I'm supposed to do as an AA member. And, and that whole thing shifted, and, and I watched it be handled, and I didn't have to, I could take them gloves off. I didn't have to fight. I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was surrender to that group conscious and allow that unity to take its place and watch that primary purpose in that group, which is to help all alcoholics, even the ones that maybe don't want to say the Lord's Prayer at the end of the meeting. Two of my good friends, because my Jerry called me off to the side and said, hey, man, some of the people you, you know and love don't want to say that prayer at the end of the meeting. I'm like, well, who was that, you know? Um, well, I found out when they shared, you know, and, and I put that aside as I put my own desires and my own ambitions aside, and AA has done that more than once for me to be able to find that primary purpose and to unite with you people is to put my own ambitions, my own desires, and all those things aside so that God can come through, which I truly believe is the the, the, the best thing ever happened for me is a loving and all-powerful God in AA that allows people like me to not be myself and allow AA to be more effective at helping others and be inclusive to all people, no matter who you are, where you come from, or what you did. Um, when I think about going back to work at the end of that, that fourth and fifth step with my sponsor, um, 
I went to work and, and I had to make amends to these professionals that I worked with. And I made an appointment with them as I was told to. And I wrote down these amends so that I wouldn't mess it up. And, and they either come to my office or I went to theirs. And, and in the process of, of this amends process, the healing that took place and, and what transformed was what I thought was always a battle, always ended up being far better than anything I could ever plan myself, was that each and every one of those men and women were receptive to my amends. It changed the whole demeanor at work, my personality with them, how well we worked together. We were far more productive. You know, we had a past president say, and it's amazing what we can get done if, if no one's interested in taking credit for it. You know, and how many times I've sat in there and watched ideas get bounced around and throw an idea on the table and, and it not get go. And that, that's okay. You know, somebody else's idea went, and it was even a better idea. And before I could have never done that, my personality would have not, I, I couldn't have accepted that. And what happened for me through this process is, is that I become humble and I become teachable and I become a part of something greater than myself. It allowed me to begin that process of that transformation that let me be the man God created me to be, and I just kept getting in the way all the time. When I finished that process, I look back today, and that was many years ago now, and all but one person has retired and, and left that company. And this gentleman here is now the facilities manager, over the, the facility and maintenance manager, and I went to him and made an amends to him because of the resentment I had toward him and how badly I treated him. And I followed my, my sponsor's directions and the directions right out of the book, our program of action, was I went to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing my former ill feeling and expressing my regret for that. And today he's one of my biggest advocates at that plant today. Never, never would have thought that. Not what's going to happen. Um, When we think about the spiritual entity and I think about the groups that I've had the blessing to be, I've been, I've been a part of some really good groups. And it's like God would move me right when it was time to move and time to grow. I don't know about you and your growth spiritually, your journey in AA, but, but mine has been a continual growth. And, and I think that's what our literature talks about is, is that it's not just the first awakening. It's the first of many awakenings. And, and as we grow spiritually, those awakenings continue to grow. And... When I, um, when I joined the Willow Springs group um, in 1994, my wife had, had left, my, my parents had split up, my sponsor got drunk, and a good friend of mine in AA died at age of 43 of congestive heart failure, all in about a quarter of a two, three weeks time period. And I remember just struggling with all that. And, and I, was going, I was going back to school at White Tech, I was, I was going to my home group at, at, at um, the Willow Springs 12-step group in Willow Springs, in the old church, in the little basement down in the bottom that many of you may not know about. But I remember, I remember what happened when I got to that group and the unity in that group and the, the purpose, that, that primary purpose of that group. It says each AA group ought to be but a spiritual entity having but one primary purpose, that of carrying this message, the message outlined in the big book of our Clark Synonymous, to the alcoholic who still suffers. And, and when I joined that group, I had no idea how much I was going to be rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence because of the men and women in that group, rock solid in AA, active in every area of AA you could be active in, and they 
they infused that enthusiasm in me and helped me to see that that primary purpose of that group was far better than any purpose I could come up with for myself. Don't worry about being a GSR, Tony. Don't worry about being a treasurer, Tony. Just, just do what they ask you to do and just get out of the way and do whatever's necessary to keep the group going and do what's best for the group and the community. But we had, we had workshops. We had Tom, Tom Ivester come and doing workshops. We, we had things going on that I, I met more people in the first year there than AA. I knew Dave C. He was, he was Robert Holland's sponsor. Dave Cook was Robert Holland's sponsor. All these people are passed on. Um, I knew all them, but I didn't know all this whole other wonderful group of people who were so active in corrections, and and the enthusiasm, man, was it, it, it was it was infectious, and and I loved it, and and I got right in the middle of it, and watching that take place, so the unity in my life is at work is starting to take root and take hold, and the primary purpose I have there is I can do a better job because I'm not fighting everybody and trying to get my own way. Now in a home group, I have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity's returned. I'm beginning to grow up emotionally. I was, I was, you know, I had emotional maturity about a 15-year-old when I got sober at 25. Um, so now I'm growing up emotionally, and I've got seven years of sobriety. I've joined this group, and things are starting to really grow. But what I saw was in this group was a, man, it was a commitment. And, and it wasn't a commitment because you had to do it. It was a commitment because they wanted to do it. Their love of the fellow alcoholic and the ability to, to spread that in the community and be there for others. I've watched men and women go before the meeting. An hour before the meeting, we get there, and we're not doing ashtrays no more. We're going into rooms and reading the big book to newcomers and bringing them to the meeting and, and watching them. And I remember when Aaron first come in, and, and God knows. So Aaron D. and Tony D., he's my brother from a different mother, so... Um, <laughs> God, I love that guy. He and I, he and I, um, we we just clicked. And what what I can do today is I know this. And as far as unity and far as the primary purposes, I can go to Aaron or Jerry or Susie or Jay or Steve, and I can bear my soul. And I know for one thing for sure is that's as far as it goes. And and to me, that that is a primary purpose for us to make ourselves available to members in our group, members in our community, um, and, and members in our sponsored networks to be available to help someone else in need because that, that spiritual growth has to keep going um, because I'll stagnate, I'll die. Um, when we think about unity and purpose, um, we started a little group. Most of us have left Willow Springs, as you know. This group's a, a, a direct result of that. Jerry... Jerry and Nancy left and started there as a solution. Aaron went and started Cleveland 12-step. We left and started the Anger, uh, working with others group eight years ago. And um, that's a testimony to that group because you look, that's what we're supposed to do is to grow and, and, and start putting up, um, putting down roots in different areas to where that community can benefit from a good three legacy AA group as well. And... Um, that was the whole thing I understood was that that was what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to grow, and we're supposed to go where we're needed, not where we want to stay, where it's comfortable. In my home group, I've been a member for 22 years of that group. You know, the easiest thing to do is stay there. The toughest thing to do would be go and set down roots and go and talk to the pastor and find a church and set up shop and do all that. And then COVID hit, 
And I remember I sent Jerry a, a picture. I had put some microband up in the window in my AA meeting, signed up in the window, I took a shot of it during COVID. So, yeah, we're here. We're ready for business. They never shut us down. I could, I could, I ran business the whole time. I was there. Um, there was only two Mondays that nobody else showed up but me. Once word got out, we were meeting live. It just started to grow. And then what happened was the disunity in other groups, that's the sad thing about this thing, is unity works both ways. The disunity in other groups has caused our group to grow. Because, you know, when, when we're holding our faces to the light, and I think we're doing what God's called us to do, and, and we treat people with respect, and we want to be helpful to them and help them grow and so that they can become effective, and you start watching that group grow, um, we're larger than we've ever been. Um, and we've expanded and added a Friday night meeting, um, a, another meeting on Friday nights, a beginner's meeting. So, so I'm watching this thing, and that's not going to happen without unity. It's not going to happen without a purpose. Um, and, and being a part of that for me is, has been growth for me is from an old-timer who started the group and sitting back and watching it go now and trying to take my hands off the wheel and, and, and let the group conscience take its place. They made decisions I didn't really care about, but the group seems to do well with it, so therefore I let that be the primary purpose. Um, one of the things that, that when you think about unity and purpose, and there's not much more to be said. We've said so much today, and I've heard so many good speakers and so much to take, take into consideration. Um, we recover. You know, we recover from a, a, a fatal illness, alcoholism, and we unite together as a group of people who normally wouldn't mix. And then we go out and serve, and I think, I think it's the serving others is the glue that binds us, you know, that holds us all together is we put ourselves and our, our desires aside for what's best for the people that need us the most, the new alcoholic walking in the door. That is our primary purpose. You know, what would it be if you walked in the door as a newcomer, we're in there fighting because our football team lost or our basketball team isn't doing what we wanted to do or, or the politics, we don't have the right banner up at our group um, and all the things that would cause disunity where, where would that newcomer go, you know? Um, I know Aaron was talking about with, with our good friend Richard Page. Um, I actually, because of the very same thing, made amends to a young lady in, in, in my old home group. We, we, were avid, um, we were avid basketball, football fans, and she has one team and I have another team. And we were always back and forth at one another. And we were standing outside, as we normally do, getting ready to leave. And she lobbed one across my bow. I just pulled the nuke, man, and boom. And I just watched her just poof. And I thought, oh, oh man, that was, not, that was not good, Tony. That was not a smart thing to do. And it was eating me alive. And, and I got on the phone, and I called, and she answered. And I said, I, I owe you an apology. I said, that was neither necessary nor was it fair. I said, you deserve far better than that. I said, let's just not talk about that anymore. She said, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> so, um, but I, I go and, you know, we all talked about corrections, and I've had the opportunity to do service work in corrections at the district, the area, and, and going into a prison for a really long time up till COVID ran us out. And the unity and purpose there was is that when we walked back in there to get our staff IDs and go through the training and everything, <clears throat> As I walked in, the staff was greeting me. 
and they smiled and they were glad to see me and I was glad to see them and I have a relationship with those people today that I would not have been able to have and, and that unity and purpose allows us to be able to get into there and actually to carry an effective message into the prison. Can't do that if they don't like you, if they don't want you around or you've offended them. Um, it's probably going to be hard to do business in there. And it's hard enough even with that. We're trying, man. We're doing our very best. Um, the best we can do is, is that there's a lunch meeting and we're hoping to get in the first of the year. We couldn't do it in their timeline this month so the first of the year we're hoping to get in there but it's like in the middle of the day and i'm like i'll do it you know i'll just come in early and stay late do whatever i got to do to make it happen but but we want to get back in there some of the things i saw in that group was everybody's kind of talked about their experience with that we walked in there and i was sponsoring a couple of guys and and through that relationship that i developed with with our programs person he allowed me to come in an hour early before the meeting and I could meet with men, which is unheard of in a maximum security facility. I could go into another room and close the door and meet with those men and do fist steps with them. And that is only through the grace of God and us being AA to what the AA principles have taught me how to do is to be kind and loving to all, you know. And um, I've heard so many times in AA from the old timers, son, if you can't be nothing else, just be nice, you know. And, and through that process of doing that and watching these guys and started to sponsor them and watching their lives change and them write letters to make amends to people and invite people in to make direct amends if they would such allow them and to watch their families be re reunited and things that was beyond any of our imaginations that was absolutely impossible. We never thought any of that stuff would happen. And I got to be front row and watch every bit of that happen. And that would not happen if I was not willing to have a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism and allow me to actually be useful to others. So many times my personality gets in the way. The way that I look at it now is, is that in, in the correctional facility, here in AA in my home group, at work, and the toughest place to do business for me is in my own home under my own roof. You know, I... Um, I have both of our moms live with us now, and uh, my daughter's 20 years old. She's going to school and working, and um, me and my poor dog Noah were the only men in the house, other than Max the cat. But um, it's uh, where's them estrogen pills at? I might need some of them. Um, I might need some of them later on. Um, I was standing on the porch when I had to share this, but I'm going to because that's what we're supposed to do. Maybe it'll, maybe somebody will hear something they need to hear. <laughs> I called my sponsor and I'm bending his ear and I'm not, you know, restless, everyone discontent. Things ain't going right at home. I'm just, I know I'm going to walk in here and it's going to be a battle and I'm yada, yada. And he stopped me dead, dead speech. And he says, aren't you the one that told me you wanted a family? Aren't you the one that was praying for a family? Yep. He said, then go in there and be the best father you can be and the best son you can be and the best husband you can be. And just go in there and be a service to them in that house tonight and stop worrying about what Tony wants. Whew. Man, that was a freak back to the head. Boy. I did that. And, and you know what? There was nothing in my mind that was going on in that house was actually what was going on in that house. There was nothing but love, and I went in there, and I did exactly what my sponsor told me to do. How many times does that work for all of us? Walked in there, and I just was being the very best I could be of any one of those. And, and unity and purpose, 
affects every area of my life today. And I don't think it's any coincidence that when we do our fourth and fifth step, we're looking at every area of our life and how we can be transformed by God through that process of the 12 steps that we can better serve them and better serve other people about us. Thank you very much.